Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People assume that Latinos are untrained, that we need to be trained, that we need to be educated. And that's the biggest gap that we have when it comes to money. Not so. Not so for many reasons. 20% of Latinos in business are actually making tech companies. So we are way more skilled than people give us credit for. And also Latinos are ahead of the curve when it comes to marketing practices. So everything that you're doing, for example, like blogging, getting on social media, leveraging news outlets, we are ahead of the curve, even more so than white owned businesses. These people assume that Latinos are not skilled and that they don't have business savviness, but that is so not true. And we've been missing a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the data to back that up. But now we are finally seeing that bubble to the surface, especially as Latino business owners accelerate their creation of small businesses and big businesses, that we do have the skill set for this. And really what we need is more of ecosystem support from all around. So yes, training can help to a certain degree, but we need connections. We need the network and we need to get paid. We need that capital. Capital is a big blocker for Latino businesses. It's all of these things and really tearing down these stereotypes that we're not skilled, that we don't have the understanding of money. We do. We grew up with money. We grew up understanding money. What we need is that bridge and that ecosystem. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, 
you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. It's been on my list of people that I must meet that I need to talk to you because you are an OG, a veteran in this money conversation space. And especially from not just talking about your own personal experience, but you actually talk about what's going on in business and technology and in money as a journalist, right? So let's first have you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about what you do. Well, thank you so much, Denise. You are an OG in your own right. So I'm really excited to be here. My name is Leanne Alfaro. I am a journalist, strategist by trade, and I run a platform called Moneda Moves, all about Latinos, money and our contributions to the American economy. I speak to a lot of first builders or first in their lineage to build generational wealth, whether it's through building a company or solving some socioeconomic systemic issue. And so these are the ecosystem players that are moving forward the Latino cohort in what's next in the business world. So I'd love to know first and foremost, a little bit about your own money story and maybe how that's played into the fact that now you talk about this for a living. So tell me how you grew up, what you learned about money, who were the biggest influences in your family, in your life when it comes to dinero? Yeah, of course. So I grew up on the Northwest side of Chicago in a Mexican working class neighborhood. Grew up very aware of money and the lack thereof. Uh, so my parents are immigrants from Guadalajara. My dad came from very poor family. My mom from lower middle class. And so growing up, being the eldest child of the two in our family, I was just very aware of the come up and everything that went into it. So when we first moved to Chicago, we lived in the same flat with all my aunts and uncles. And so growing up, I knew that space was physically tight and all of that related to money. And when we finally moved out, we moved out into this attic area in that same building. And so money conversations were frequent. I was around them. I listened to them. It never felt like I was personally burdened by them. And so I felt like that was a privilege in and of itself. There was an emotional security with my parents where my mom and dad had the money conversations, but it never felt like I was going to go hungry, for example. And when it came to schooling, we were in a lower income neighborhood in Chicago. The zoning is very strict. So the only way you could get a higher quality education is if you go to a different neighborhood that is in a higher income bracket because the taxes directly correlate with that. So through a lottery system, almost by a stroke of luck is how I even learned English, how I landed my career remotely. So I was just very aware of, from a contextual perspective, how important socioeconomics was and how that gave certain people in the city opportunity and others were limited of that opportunity. And all of that had to do with money. 
I don't think I realized growing up that that was going to be such a key player in my life, the importance of money, but I was always interested in context story. Why are things the way that they are? What are the bigger issues at play? And so I think it made a lot of sense when I ended up pursuing journalism, because that addresses a lot of those questions. I did a lot of different kinds of journalism, science journalism, government, local politics journalism. But when I moved to New York, it was money journalism that I fell into. And so I ended up at these places like CNBC, Business Insider, national outlets where I saw a lot of money stories, but the face of the money stories were white men. And so this was just very jarring difference from the world that I grew up in, because the world I grew up in in the northwest side of Chicago, yes, we were in the lower income working class Mexican neighborhood, but a lot of the people in my neighborhood had their own businesses. Whatever hustle you can imagine, they were doing it, whether it was the paleteros or literally nopales, the cactus leaves, like literally skinning them and selling them on the street, whatever it was, even my dad was an entrepreneur of sorts. He ended up working for the union construction, but then decided, you know what, I want to go build my own thing, had his own construction company. So I was just like, how is it that we're writing stories about entrepreneurs and business owners, but all of them are not people of color, because that's all I saw growing up. So I decided to do something about it started by pitching my own stories from players in the ecosystem who I saw were doing studies about Latino entrepreneurs and BIPOC entrepreneurs, but also the people who were leading that charge and saying, we deserve more, we can actually go raise money. And we can not only make small businesses, we can make big businesses too. So that's a little bit about how I got into my trade. I love it. And when you're talking about how jarring the experiences for the conversation around money is being amplified by these national outlets, and it looks like people who are not related to your upbringing, your cultural context, do you think that that plays into the role that we see often in our community that money is not for us or conversations around money are not for us? Because I've found as a podcaster there's just so much stigma around the conversation as if we're not experiencing money too. And that's absolutely not the case, right? I had a really good conversation. I was working on a story. I was just at Stanford because Stanford puts out every year a report on small Latino business owners and how much money would contribute to the American economy. I was just on a call with the CEO of the organization that puts that report out. And he told me something really important, I think. His name is Arturo Casares. He said, people assume that Latinos are untrained, that we need to be trained, that we need to be educated. And that's the biggest gap that we have when it comes to money. And he's like, not so. Not so for many reasons. And I'll quote his report because 20% of Latinos in business are actually making tech companies. So we are way more skilled than people give us credit for. And also Latinos are ahead of the curve when it comes to marketing practices. So everything that you're doing, Janice, for example, like blogging, getting on social media, leveraging news outlets, we are ahead of the curve, even more so than white owned businesses. So these people assume that Latinos are not skilled and that they don't have business savviness, but that is so not true. And we've been missing a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the data to back that up. But now we are finally seeing that bubble to the surface, especially as Latino business owners accelerate their creation of small businesses and big businesses, that we do have the skill set for this. And really what we need is more of ecosystem support from all around. So yes, training can help to a certain degree, but we need connections. We need the network and we need to get paid. We need that capital. Capital is a big blocker for Latino businesses, one of them being banks, another one being VCs, because if you're making a tech company, you're going to need that much more capital to scale because it's very expensive to build a tech company. So it's all of these things and really tearing down these stereotypes that we're not skilled, that we don't have the understanding of money. We do. We grew up with money. We grew up understanding money. What we need is that bridge and that ecosystem. Absolutely. It's almost like the refinement. We need the polish. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. The polish. And then honestly, the people to tell us that we're worth it, then the people with capital to tell us that we're worth it. I can't tell you how many stories I hear of people just getting funding based on an email. And Latinos think they're just, oh, well, if I burn that midnight oil, there is this narrative. And I'm not saying all Latinos, but I would say that even myself, I would put myself in that category. If we burn that midnight oil, then the reward will come. And that's just not necessarily true in this capitalist system. I think we need people to vote with their money to be like, hey, your ideas are worthy and you are worthy because you have a track record and we know that you can do this. Yeah. I always say that I think our competitive advantage as a community is that innate hustle. Our ability to just make something out of nothing, I think that's something that is genetically programmed into who we are as a people. And I think back to all of the things that we've had to survive, whether that's colonization or systemic oppression or language barriers, we've just had to figure out how to do something with nothing. And so I think when I look at Latino entrepreneurs, that's the thing that fascinates me more than anything. It's just the ability to create without the resources that other communities have access to. I'm wondering how much you think that entrepreneurship is pursued by our community because there's no other option, because of the lack of opportunity. Whereas for a white guy with a trust fund, he's going to go start a business because, oh, you know, it just sounds like a cool project to do. Versus a first-gen Latina who starts a business because she's tired of being chronically underpaid by an employer and she wants to do something about that. Oh, 100%. I can't really cite a study that'll say this, but I can tell you from firsthand experience and speaking with people that that's absolutely the case because you speak to so many entrepreneurs that are of Latino heritage that come from underprivileged backgrounds. I was listening to, I never forget what podcast she was on, but Brittany Chavez from Shop Latinx. They ask her, like, how did you know you wanted to go and build this? She's like, I was poor. I built this because I needed to build something that was going to be bigger than me. And I think that that resonates on so many levels. It certainly resonates with me. We see our potential. And when we see that our potential sometimes is shrinked by the places that we're in, or we've outgrown the places that we're in. And that's not to say that full-time jobs don't serve a purpose, because I'm still in a full-time job, which I fully appreciate for many reasons. But I see a vision. And I see a bigger picture. And I also see that I am the first of my family that has this opportunity in this country to generate wealth. And I'm not going to squander that opportunity. That's a huge opportunity from where we're at, and the gap of where we have to go. Now, I think that there's also plenty of Latinos that also come from privilege that come from money. And I don't think we talk about it that often, too. I think that that's going to be really important to talk about as we continue to develop our conversations around Latinos and money is to talk about class. Class is so important. There's plenty of immigrants that come here with more substantial funding. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing as long as we're talking to each other and making sure that the lines of communication are open across the ecosystem. If we're truly working towards same end goals, that's going to be a positive for us because we can redistribute that wealth. As someone who talks to so many entrepreneurs and that curates these stories, what would you say are the top one or two most common obstacles that are being faced by entrepreneurs? And what are some of your thoughts around how we can start to maybe tackle those obstacles? Yeah, I think the biggest obstacle that I see is honestly, funding will be the second. It's the first one that comes to mind, but it's the second to the network. There is a lot of gatekeeping around networks, whether we talk about what we're talking about right now, like media and the press, and also just these, these structures that are set in place that we can continue to perpetuate. Like, oh, you need to be a part of this club you need to pay into, or you need to be of a certain pedigree in order to have these connections. 
And as far as a solve goes for that, to be honest with you, Janice, and that's something that I've been asking myself and I've been having these conversations with other Latinos who've been in spaces that I'm in that are more institutional because I have been in institutions at this point. And it's not because I paid to it. It's just because journalism got me there. And I'm just, okay, now I see this issue. How can we facilitate the lines of access and communication? Is this working in the long term? From a class perspective, it's not. So we need to be able to create a line of communication for people that don't pursue traditional paths. Because, for example, I see college becoming less popular. Even when you speak to youth that are building their own companies, they're not that confident that going to college or getting a master's beyond undergrad will get them to where they want to go. So I think we need to really reevaluate our institutions and figure out who they're serving and figure out how to also selfishly capitalize on all of the talent that's out there where these traditional institutions are just not for them. But we still need to be working with them because there's so much talent and there's so much genius out there. And then I think the second is definitely funding. The more sought out funding for Latino entrepreneurs is personal loans and personal savings. After that, it's bank loans. And banks, you see a big decrease in the amount of loans given to Latino entrepreneurs when requesting more than $50,000. The threshold below $50,000 seems to be a pretty easy get, but after $50,000, much harder. And especially when you look at the gap between Latino-owned businesses and white business owners, it's a big gap. So Latinos have the credit scores, they have the background, they have everything to boot. So we need banks to be having these serious conversations and developing programs to target that gap. So it's not about how to give equal access. No, it's, hey, this audience set is falling behind. We need to actively focus on them and get them to where everyone else is. And then the other one would be venture capital because it's another form of, of fundraising. Not everyone likes venture capital. Not everyone wants to give up stake in their company, but it's super important way to gain capital. Speaking of gatekeeping, so comedian George Lopez was recently under fire across social media for basically saying something to the effect of it's not his responsibility to make it easier for new comedians who are Latino to come up that if they want to be successful, they should just follow his blueprint, whatever that blueprint is. Why do you think that mentality is still so pervasive in our community? And do you think there's a generational shift at all between the old guard versus the new generation of entrepreneurs and creators? I think that there is a generational shift. I think that I do see a lot of younger people making more communities that are cross-intersectional. And you can see that in the fact that a lot of people of color at big companies have communities that provide access to not just the corporate club. They see so much value. As a matter of fact, we see value in everything that's being built outside of these older money, bigger institutional structures. We want to create that form of communication because there's value there. Of course, it is good. It is also the smart thing to do because there's so much talent. I think a lot of people realize that. They realize that genius and that talent in those communities are being built outside of traditional structures. So I really hope that the George Lopez way is not the way moving forward. I will say as somebody, I wasn't the most avid fan of George Lopez, but certainly was something show that was on in the household. And so I was really disappointed to hear that. I think that's definitely something that we should graduate from ASAP because not only is it not the right thing to do, it's just not smart. Even if it was in his self-interest, George Lopez could grow so much bigger if he drew lines to people that are doing newer things, innovative things. And if he shared and kind of had that exchange, that's the kind of conversations that we should be having. I absolutely agree. Okay. So as someone who has found herself in spaces that are very white male dominated, I'm curious if you have 
any stories you can share with us about something crazy that somebody told you or some crazy experience that you've had in the workplace. Because that's one thing that I've realized talking to so many Latinas in corporate, the first gen kids go to college and make it into these really structured environments. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of microaggressions. And so I'm curious if you've had any experience with that. Yeah, Janice, it wouldn't be the first time that you've heard this for sure. Unfortunately, just being a Latina in a white dominated space, and not even just white people, honestly, it really is the people you least expect. It really is sometimes another person of color, unfortunately, that sexualizes Latinos. And that is so lame. I would hope that you understand that we are systemically oppressed and that you would realize that treating me respectfully is the baseline. But unfortunately, I think there's a lot of re-education we need to do because there is machismo culture within the Latino culture. And that also exists in other people of color culture. So I want to say that because honestly, that's probably where I faced it the most, unfortunately, but it's just the facts. And I will say as, as for working in white corporate environments, I've been code switching since I was in the second grade. So I think that I definitely recognize that. And that's probably why I'm not as triggered. When I hear things like, you speak so well, you're so eloquent. I think I've just been doing corporate <laughs> since I was in the second grade because my first language was Spanish. And then I went to a school that my parents got me in through the lottery system and I learned English. And I literally, kid you not, I remember vividly spending hours in front of the mirror, watching the way I dictated things, the way I said things, the enunciation. I was that hard on myself because the environment that I was in was so black and white to the life that I led at home. And so I'm fully aware that I speak a certain way and that that's just my default now. It's not I go home and I start speaking differently other than Spanglish, but that's been my experience in the space. And I think that we really need to look within our cultures and make sure that we're addressing the machismo that also is very alive and well within a lot of our POC cultures. This reminds me of a conversation that I was having with my Instagram followers on my stories recently where it almost feels like once you've made it out, you no longer belong to the community, but we're being told to actively get out of the hood, right? We're being told to go to college and make something of yourself. But the further away you get from where you came from, the less that people see you as still part of the community. And I'm wondering if you have had any feelings around that, because I know for me, on one hand, I'm so grateful for all the opportunities that my family has given me to even have the ability to do this crazy entrepreneurial thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of sense of guilt because there's so many people who were left behind in that journey and who you want to bring with you. But it's like, how do I save everybody while still keeping my head above water? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Yeah, 100%. I think that that's so hard because... I feel that I go back and I just moved back to Chicago. I've been out of my hometown for 10 years and I just moved back and I realized there's communities that I want to be a part of. I don't even see it as the hood. I think that there's so much smart people in the hood. I don't give it the connotations that I had of it when I was growing up because that's what everyone else told me to believe. I come back in the hood. I see people that are creating things in ways that defy anything that education has told me. I see people building beautiful spaces, beautiful communities, local businesses. I go to literally our Mecca of Mexican neighborhoods, Pilsen and Little Village, where I see people that are around my age and they stayed here and they have fostered such a beautiful community. They said, listen, I grew up in this neighborhood where it was unsafe to walk the streets, but I envisioned a place where things were safe and maybe they did their college studies and maybe they didn't, but it doesn't matter because what matters is that they're building these beautiful spaces, these beautiful communities, beautiful businesses that benefit the community that they have. And I want to be a part of that. Since moving back, I really have taken some time to get to know these people. And it has been so good, I think, for me and humbling, really, because all I did was do different things. And yeah, I have talents in my own right, but getting to know these people and putting faces to, and Pilsen isn't even the neighborhood that I grew up in, but it is where the most (laughs) Mexicans hang out and who I relate to a lot culturally. But just seeing that, even the Boricuas here and all of the amazing stuff that they do, that has been amazing. And asking, how can I help? How can I help y'all out? Can I bring you to Google? That's my day job. Can we have you come on and speak? Can we do a joint partnership situation? Can we come bring your products in? That is my role right now. I recognize that I am not a part of that community in that way. But in another way, yes, I can be as long as I take a step closer. And that for me has been so healing because I realized that yes, I went and had my own journey, but that does not make me any less valid or any more valid than anyone here because I see amazing work everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm curious, what are some limiting beliefs that you've had to confront as you build wealth as a first-gen kid? So many. (laughs) I think I'm still defining them, to be honest with you. I think I constantly ask myself for a very long time, am I worth that money? I remember the first time I sat down for a negotiation, I didn't know it was a negotiation when I told my first job at CNBC how much money I wanted. And I thought I was asking for a lot and I really wasn't. And they let me take that and no one corrected me. And once I learned that my coworkers were making more money, wait, what? (laughs) 
I definitely should not be ashamed to ask for more. But I think asking myself, am I worth that? And especially as they started charging my own rates for independent services, like, am I worth that? And then I'd look at my experience and I'm like, yeah, I am worth that. But I think that even beyond that and going into therapy has made me realize that my experiences have helped me gain a lot of confidence. But where I think I needed to work a lot is self-worth. Even if you stripped me of all my accolades, all of my awards, anything that I've done tomorrow that I still can look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you're fully worth it. You're fully valid. And I think that there has been a big disconnect and big gap for that. And I don't know if this is common for people who have done something, but I feel like it might be. Oh, I can absolutely relate to this 100%. And I think especially as first-gen kids, the whole point is to achieve the things that nobody else has been able to do. And there's so much internalized pressure to make the sacrifices worth it. Exactly. Am I making the right decisions? Is this the right call? I felt so many of those pressures. Sometimes what it comes down to is I don't feel like I'm enough. It's not like, am I capable? I know I can do that because I've done it. But am I enough? That's the question. And so I think that I've had that limiting belief of I'm not enough. And I think that that can really seep into your relationship with money for sure, because then it prevents you sometimes from asking more. It prevents you from building a plan or fully executing a plan because you don't fully believe it'll work. You can go to all of the masterminds, but if you don't believe it, and I've had this, I've had this, I've shown up in seats to places where I'm like, this will get me on track. This will get me there, but nothing's going to get you there unless you truly believe you are worthy of it and can get yourself there. So that's something that I needed to overcome and believe, especially as I take all these courses to like educate myself, work with different financial planners. And then I think I'm entering like another layer of it right now that I'm working with my parents and we're trying to set up their trust and their wills. I don't think I have the key to that or I've unlocked that, but I think it's like another can of worms that's just, oh man, that's the next level. <laughs> yeah. How much of that feeling of unworthiness do you think can be attributed to the fact that we just don't see ourselves represented in these spaces. And oftentimes you can be the only Latina or the only woman in a room. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big time that, but I think it's also the lack of validation from the people in power. I think it's great that Disney's making all these movies with these Latina and Black princesses. That's awesome. And that's great for growing up too. I remember Sesame Street was such an iconic show for me. And now I look back at reruns and I'm like, yo, they had kids of color. That's amazing. Great show. But I think that's not going to make a difference. If you get to a work environment where you don't get the vote of confidence from the people in power and the people with money. And I do see that happen where there is a group for people of color within the company, but they're not getting the vote of confidence with the people in power's money or the time, honestly, to execute the vision that they have. And so I think that that not just validation, but also that power handoff, that's important because if you're not getting that, the posters and the advertisements are not going to make much of a difference. It's all going to seem like a farce. And yeah, we really need to bridge that gap. So not only are you reporting about entrepreneurship, but you're now an entrepreneur yourself. I'd love to know more about how that journey started for you and now how it presently manifests itself. I didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur for such a long time. And it took other people calling me, oh, you're a founder for me to be like, oh, yeah, I guess now I'm doing services and consultations. Yes, I guess I am. I think it's only last year that I came to terms with, oh, this is what's happening. And let's get this trademark in order. We're making money. <laughs> That's what's happening. I saw myself as a journalist for such a long time. And so I saw myself as an observer of the ecosystem, not a part of it. 
I would just look at all these amazing stuff that people are doing, look at it. And I'm just looking at it from the outside. And I'm just, no way I am a part of the ecosystem. And also to step into that power has been really, really cool because now I'm just part of the ecosystem. I can do something about it. And part of that has been untying myself from my identity as solely a journalist and being able to embrace my multi-hyphenness. Because in journalism, you're taught that you're not supposed to have an opinion, that you're supposed to observe everything. It's all these old school adage things. But I really analyzed some of my favorite journalists, like Marina Jose over at Latino USA, Soledad O'Brien, who has her own production company and works with HBO consistently. Wait, these women do have opinions. And these women are also starting businesses. They're kind of doing it all. And I feel like I'm looking at the younger generation. They're not even asking for permission. Why am I so stuck on asking for permission? So I'm working on asking for less permission and obviously doing thing, doing my due diligence and being as ethical as I can, because there's a lot of those lines to tread with journalism. But I'm really excited to enter this new chapter, having trademarked. I actually, as of this conversation, I'm about to launch one of them on the website next week. So really excited. It'll have the podcast, my consulting offerings, which I launched last year. I started working with a few venture capital firms on storytelling, branding, how to tell your story, preparing for the press everything but PR because I still do journalism, but I have an amazing list of Latina brands that are ready for the job. And it's just been amazing. I'm really excited because I think that just embracing that mindset of I'm a multi-hyphenate and I don't just have to absorb, I can actually be a part of the solution has been huge for me. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Just shedding the identities that we thought we were supposed to have is really important because I think you're going to evolve as a person. And the thing that you thought you were going to do at 18 years old is not necessarily the thing you're going to see yourself doing for the longest time. And I think we're asked to make these really concrete decisions about what our entire adult life is supposed to look like when it comes to career and the contributions we're going to give to society. And I don't think it's realistic to make an 18-year-old kid decide what the hell they're going to do with the rest of their life you're not a plant. You are not a tree. You have the opportunity to move and change your mind and experience new things. And with that information and the curiosity that comes from that, decide that you want to be somebody else. And that's, I think, my favorite part of entrepreneurship is that it's defined by the individual. There's no one thing that means you're an entrepreneur. I love that. No, that's great. And that makes me wonder because, Janice, you had so many careers. I've had so many different lives. And I'm like, girl, we're not even 40 yet. I can't even wait to see what the next half of my life is going to look like. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that makes me think of, and I've quoted this so many times with people that I've been in professional conversations with. Do you know, Pavel, I promise this all relates, but it's going to be a little bit of a journey. Do you know Pavel Martinez Plural podcast? So he talks about bringing your authentic self to work as a Latino and how few things should be off limits if you're really trying to bring your full authentic self to work. So I've ended up in a few networking conversations and I tell them my favorite interview ever has been with Cindy Gallup. She is a founder of a company called Sex Tech, Sex Tech founder of Make Love Not Porn. And it is indeed a porn site. But this woman gave me the best interview for me, literally changed my mindset. She was like, listen, I spent 20 plus years climbing the corporate ladder at this PR firm. And then one day I woke up and I realized I wanted to blow it all up and do some new shit. And she straight up went from this old school PR company where she was the creme de la creme. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go and (laughs) build this sex tech company. And now she was like at tech fair. And she's raised a decent amount of money doing that. She has a TEDx talk. And what this woman has, that is the ingredient that I want in my life. It's that range of being, I am not one thing. I can be multiple things. And I can wake up one day 
later in my life and decide I want to blow it all up and do something completely different as long as they feel like it's me. And it truly felt like she was so comfortable in her own skin. And I was like, whatever you have, bottle it and sell it because you would make trillions. <laughs> I feel like that moment is going to come for you, Leanne. I feel like we're going to witness that I'm blowing everything up and doing something completely different because I just think that's what happens with entrepreneurship. The more comfortable that you get in that identity, the more free you feel, the more authentic you feel like you can show up, especially when you have a community of people who have supported you from the beginning and have watched that evolution. I've found that people who have been watching this from the beginning just get a kick out of watching the journey because it inspires them to also allow themselves to show up more authentically, to give themselves permission to pursue these ideas, to not always try to conform. And to be a little bit of a rebel. It's fun. I think that's why entrepreneurs do what we do, because we like to be a little rebellious. Listen, I feel like I am such an admiration of you and then people like Gigi, the first gen mentor, or Giovanna Puez, bring their full authentic selves to social. This is who I am. And that's why people connect with you. I think that is amazing. I think there is a lot that we can all learn from that. So yeah, just thank you for the work that you do, because you do inspire us to bring ourselves, our full selves. Thank you. And I know folks are going to be super inspired by this conversation. They're going to want to find out so much more about you. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us about your consulting offers. Tell us about everything you have going on. Oh, sure thing. Yes. So I have a podcast, which when in season will drop weekly. We're actually launching our new season early March and it's interviews with all of the ecosystem leaders, mostly Latinos, but also just people of color in general, because we face a lot of the similar challenges in the money space. They're either building fintech companies or solutions to socioeconomic issues. We've interviewed people in policy, venture capital, banking. So that's the Moneda Moves podcast. The newsletter drops biweekly, and I wrangle up all of the biweekly headlines so that you know what's going on in the ecosystem, who are the big players, also snippets from the podcast. The consulting offerings, I've lately been working with companies that are in a place where they're pitching maybe for funding, and they're in a place where they're thinking about refining their storytelling. So I will work with you on what's your story, figuring out telling the stories for your C-suite, your CEOs. These are things that I did in my last role at NASDAQ when companies went to IPO. What is the kind of interview that you want to position with the press? How will you appear on camera? All of these things really prepping you for the press, prepping you to tell your story in front of pitches. That's what I'll help with. And where can we find you on social? You can find me at Moneda Moves or at Leanne Alfaro. Leanne, this has been such an awesome conversation. I love how you have not only immersed yourself in this world to be a storyteller, but now you get to participate in it. I think that is such a key advantage that I believe that you have being in the position that you are. And I also love how you have taken all of these skills that you've acquired throughout your corporate experience, and now you're using them in a different way as an entrepreneur. I always recommend to people, there's a lot of professional skills that you pick up along the way that you can then turn into your own business. So don't think that you need to go out here and just try to be a card influencer. There's a lot of really useful skills that you can turn into your own entrepreneurial journey. And Leanne, you're a prime example of that. So thank you for the work that you're doing to tell the stories that need to be told and giving us permission to show up unapologetically around the conversation around money. I appreciate you, Janice. Thank you. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer